Hello, hello. Hey, hey. Hey, hey. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> so, this is the Get You Some Productions podcast, episode 32. Um, a podcast covering all things related to music production, from the first note to the last fan and everything in between. We create music and inspire others to do the same. And my name's Keith. And my name's Daniel. So what we do up front is we always plug something. Every time I hear the word plug, I think of, do you remember the old Bugs Bunny cartoon? You ain't plugged no rabbit critter. You plugged your pappy. (laughs) (laughs) It's like these two um, hillbillies. Right. Trying to kill Bugs Bunny. And they have this, like, they have this big musket-looking thing, like a big old-school-looking, you know, pump gun that you put the the buckshot right in the front of it and all this junk. And these two, like, real scruffy-looking dudes with overalls and the whole thing, and they're trying to kill Bugs Bunny. And then it's like the the joke is, like, every time they try to shoot him, he builds some sort of insane – he, like, somehow dodges it, but also makes the bullet turn around somehow to kill the dad every time. So the son is, like, trying to kill the rabbit. <laughs> and then he's like, Dad, I, Dad, I plugged a rabbit critter. And then every time – it's like the – it's the same episode every single time. And then he goes, you ain't plugged no rabbit critter. You plugged your pappy. <laughs> That's what you think about? <clears throat> That's, well, every time I hear the word plug. Keith, I have to be honest with you. Yeah. <laughs> something wrong with me? <laughs> no, there might be something. There might be something wrong with me, because I immediately think of a butt plug. <laughs> like, all right, we gotta plug something, and I always think my ass instantly bursting. So, so yeah, I guess you know what. <laughs> And that concludes uh, uh, episode 32. That was episode 32. So maybe we should um, maybe we should build an affiliate link for a butt plug that we recommend and plug that. <laughs> plug a, we should plug a plug. See, brilliant. Okay, no, so skipping. Let's skip all that. Moving on. Let's plug something. Uh, let's plug something serious. We're going to plug, as we always do, Reverb.com. Uh, click the link in the, in the notes. That is an affiliate link to Reverb.com. Reverb.com is a marketplace for music gear. Um, a lot of times it's local shops and individuals selling their gear. Um, so it's a good place. There are some big stores that list their stuff on Reverb. Yeah. Um, so you can get, you know, brand new stuff shipped to you from there. But um, and so that's fine. But my actually, I, what I like it for is there's a lot of weird stuff on there. Yep. Exactly. You can yeah, you can find some cool. You know, for me, it's fun to just browse and see like <clears throat> some weird guitar shape that you know PV made in the 80s that 
was discontinued after one year and it looks totally insane. And it's like, there's really only one, there's probably only a handful left in the whole world because they were all destroyed. Yeah. <clears throat> and it's on reverb and it's $250. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. that's the type of stuff I get excited about. Um, but anyway, if you want to support the podcast, you can go to Reverb uh, through the link in the description, and that is our affiliate link. So if you shop through that link, we get a small commission. We also get a small commission if you are not yet signed up for Reverb. Um, you can go hit that link, sign up, spend no money, and we'll still get uh, we'll still get a little commission there. So if you want to do that, great. helps us out. If you don't, then don't. Um, you have anything to add to that? Oh well, you know, I'm just going to second what you say. Reverb is just for fun to browse because, uh, you know, the used equipment stuff on there, stuff you might be looking for, vintage, it's all there. And uh, yeah, you know, if you're a music nerd or a gear nerd, you know, it's super fun. So I definitely recommend it. You know what? Also, is, also is kind of fun there is that they have a feature for each listing mm-hmm. that is a price chart. And it shows historical the historical price chart for the item, um, and so you can see if you're getting it cheaper than it historically has been, or if it's if it's at a high price, and you can just kind of see like interesting things about price trends of gear. I find that interesting too. Cool. Um, you have a personal musical update? Personal music. Um, uh, I'm playing music with these guys. Got a little project going on called Element 115 in uh, Richmond, Virginia. Nice. And uh, we got we finally got our own space, proper like you know rehearsal space in a warehouse. You know, you know the kind of space. Uh, yep. That, uh, you know, it's too hot in the summer, too cold in the winter. You know. <laughs> Um, but it's great. It's a really big room, and there's tons of, like, sound-absorbing stuff on the wall. It's just got a great sound. So we're, I'm happy cool. with it. And, uh, but the musical update is the drummer I play with, uh, you know, he also plays a little bit of bass, and he brought in his bass uh, mm-hmm. uh, early 2000, maybe Warwick five-string active bass. Whoa. And, uh, uh, I've been really enjoying it um, because, you know, I play a Fender jazz, uh, you know, super vintage sound, passive, that whole thing is awesome. But, on the, you know, kind of, I wouldn't say the other end of the spectrum, but definitely different uh, is the, the modern bass with the active pickups. Um, and uh, so I got to play, the, I mean, he brought that in for me to use indefinitely and last night mm. was the first time i got to just like really jam with it with the guys um and it's super fun to play with uh so you know i'm going to be spending the next bit of time uh i mean the next few months i think really seeing what i can get from this active base uh you know <clears throat> thanks well, uh you know what would you say we're doing... hmm? sorry go ahead oh i uh, uh like uh, we're doing a little a lot more electronic uh elements in our music uh, so the modern sound is great. Mm. Uh, and uh, the biggest difference I've noticed so far with the active pickups is sort of the uh, the amount of physical energy, like kinetic energy I have to put into the strings to produce sound is uh, less. Mm, interesting. Uh, if I play it like um, 
a passive bass, like really pushing on the strings hard. Um, nothing bad happens. Um, it does create, <laughs> it does create, you know what I mean? Nothing bad happens, but nothing bad happens. <laughs> I can play really lightly and it will produce a sort of scooped out sound, less mid, really, wow. full, really full bass. Mm. Um, you know, it's like having a condenser mic as opposed to, you know, not, uh, on, on the strings, so I can play really lightly and get super deep bass. Um, mm. and I like I said, I only had like uh, like last night was my first time like playing with it with lot. I mean, playing it by itself is one thing <clears throat> like, you know, with this in a session, you know, at volume. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. I can hit certain notes and like literally like make the clothing vibrate on your body. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Dude, that's incredible. So that's an update. It, it was really, uh, it was really stimulating. Uh, Are you playing through your amp? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that amp by itself moves a lot of sound, but then the active hiccups just, you know, it's like the frequency response must be. I, you know, I'm totally guessing, but I'm just yeah. guessing that the frequency response must be so wide. Yeah. On an active pickup, <clears throat> so you're, I don't know, you know, it's like. Interesting that I was thinking, like, in terms of bass, you yeah. know, there are so many different tones. Yeah. And they're good for different types of music. Mm-hmm. And so yours is a jazz bass. And so there are times when I was listening to another podcast where the guy's producing music and <clears throat> the guy, the, one of the producers is the bass player. And he was like, you know, we're playing this song. It was sort of like 80s. They're, they're producing a song that's like 80s, um, comparable to like 80s Pink Floyd. So it was like, yeah. it was almost like if, what if Pink Floyd had like, you know, like a drum beat, like a drum machine behind mm-hmm. it. And he was like, I had played the original bass line in with a jazz bass. And he said it was just too defined. It was like almost like a yeah. lead bass sound. He said, I had to swap out and play my P bass because the song was just asking for, you know, more of that, like a more mellow, supportive sound, something that blended in better rather than something that stuck out. Yep. Which I think I always find that interesting because I'm the biggest dunce when it comes to tone. (laughs) So it's just like, to me, it's just like, oh, I I don't even know. I, I must just, I honestly don't, I like, I don't know what is my, my deal in terms of that. I don't either, Keith. <laughs> <laughs> but I just don't even think about shit like that, you know? I Oh, I and know. So, oh, I know. Yeah. I know, <laughs> I know you know. Okay. No, like, so, okay, to, to put it in that, that and just to, to, to expand on what you just said, uh, you and I have worked on many projects, and we've definitely had some conversations where I'm like, Keith, why? Why that tone? Like, like, what are we do? Why are you doing that? Or like, what about this? Hilarious. So you'd be like, uh, I hadn't thought about it. I'm like, okay. <laughs> no, never. Yeah. It was never like a negative thing. You're just, it was just like, I guess I, um, I think a lot about tone. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I am starting to. I wouldn't say I'm starting to think more about it, but. You know, I'm, it's in the, it's almost like it's in the back of my mind and 
I um, I'm sort of like listening to myself play a lot, <clears throat> just because I want to sort of just you know I'm like I'm like taking the baby steps with it. I'm listening right. to my tone. <laughs> you know, it's like I'm not even thinking about what your tone, bro. Tone I want. I'm just listening to my tone and just being like, what are the features of my tone? Like, what do I have a tone? What is it? You know. What is it? Yeah. <clears throat> so. Yeah. Oh, and I did realize actually with the active pickup that I think my tweeter is blown in um, or not working in my oh. uh, in my cab mm -hmm. um, because like. Well, first of all, like, the 10-inch speakers I have in the cab, like, do so much work, like, you wouldn't even necessarily notice mm -hmm. that the tweeter wasn't working. But I was like, wait a minute. I was going through the dials on the, uh, the new bass, and if I rolled off or pumped the bass, like, fuck yeah, I'd definitely hear a huge difference. But then I put the treble, like, the, the knobs have that little, like, notch feel, like, right at 50%. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? So I put it on flat. I'm like, okay, do, do, do. Crank the bass. Boom, lots of bass. Okay, roll that back. And then do, do, do. Turn up the treble. And there was no difference in my tone between, like, at the or all the way up. I'm like, hold on. That should be, like, clickety, clack, sparkly, whatever. Mm. I was like, hmm. So the next step, uh, I do, uh, uh, it was recommended you get uh, some sort of tone generator that just, like, literally picks pitch like per like you know hertz or whatever creates a sine wave at like every pitch and then they said you just like put that into your amp right and then slowly increase the pitch higher and higher and then if the volume seems to like just like sort of roll off or disappear interesting it, it just means it's not making those frequencies right uh, that totally makes sense so whatever you know i don't think uh, i think replacing a tweeter is a something i could probably do myself because I think you just like wire it in. You get the That's right likely. One. Yeah. Uh, just unscrew it from the front, pop it out, put a new one in. I don't. Hopefully, it won't be super expensive. Maybe buy like a you know vintage Eden one or whatever. Um, not super stressed about it because uh, they sound good anyway. So, mm -hmm. uh, but I was like, yeah. mm, gotta. Hey, you know what would be really funny? What? What if that tweeter never worked all <laughs> these years? Oh, I, I'm pretty sure it hasn't. Yeah, I, I know. I, I'm pretty sure I know when it died, which was like 1995. There you go. In Needham, yep. I hook up my dad's stereo headphone output into my amp, mm -hmm. so I could blast Rage Against the Machine at five yep. million decibels. Yep, the whole block could hear it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep, <laughs> that or that did it. That I mean, is totally. Yeah, this is totally. <laughs> This is totally a thing that people, especially kids, especially rock and roll kids do. So I had to, this is, so this is actually a really good segue actually, because I was okay. just laughing to myself, thinking to myself, okay, I've played with you for 25 years, let's say. Yes. You, your tone, your entire tone for this entire time has been defined by, in some sense, the 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 missing tweeter, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, sure. Because you probably never had it because you blew it out in nineties, whatever ninety five. Yeah, and I didn't meet you until ninety eight or something. So that's it. You're so all the records we made, all the gigs we ever played, that exact same amp, 
you never had a tweeter. And that's fine because it's just the sound. And now that I'm even saying it out loud, I feel like I think sometimes people don't connect their tweeters for their bases. Well, you have to realize live sound and studio sound, I was going to have all my high range because live sound, I've got a DI box and I'm using the PA. Oh, yes. Right, right. So it's really only stage sound. Stage sound. Yeah. Who, okay. needs, who needs that tweeter anyway? Okay. <laughs> so so this is, this is um, I, I don't want to get into it. I don't want to do, I, I want to have this be the segue into the band we were in. Um, Jolly Ship the Whiz Bang because we we had made us we had made a plan to talk about it. Um, we were in that band for a while, and um, it was a big part of our musical lives. Yeah. Um, separately and together, and so we we had made a, a pact to chat about it for a while and just reminisce. But um, and so so you know what? Actually, I'm not even going to bore any with with a story. Uh, like any any tangential story. Let's just let's just bullshit about Dolly Ship for a while, <laughs> and yeah. that'll be our podcast. Do you? So I remember. I don't know. You probably remember that when you joined the band, but I remember when I joined. I um, you called me and said you should. You recommended me to join the band. Yeah. And I had to show up for rehearsal at the Flux Factory in Queens. Yeah. yeah. And I showed up, and it was you, Raja, and Nick standing in a, the warehouse, you know, in the middle yeah. of that, the big main front room. Yeah. And, you know, I want to say we played together, you know, like, um, God, which was the one that was like... We do Pirate Love. I think we maybe did Pirate Love or something. It put, Forgive me. Pirate Love was like a one four five song, wasn't it? Yeah. It was just yeah. It was just a one four five over and over again. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and I remember like Nick was like singing, but he had a puppet on his hand. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, okay. Yeah. You know, this is you know joining the band under those circumstances. I just, I guess, I probably assumed that it was just going to be some sort of weird, goofy thing that, you know, maybe wouldn't have turned into anything spectacular. And I feel like a lot of those early rehearsals were, like, were left a lot to, to, to be, uh, you know, wanting. It left, it left me wanting because the songs probably didn't sound very great up front. Mm-hmm. Um, but towards the end, we got really good. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, and things developed a lot. The sound developed. <clears throat> so, what was it? What are your like? Anything jump out at you? You want to just do your, like your? You well, yeah, the beginning. I I was totally when we said let's talk about that or like the early days or whatever. Like right away, I was thinking of like again the Flux Factory, mm-hmm. which um, was this really cool like communal living space with artists, mm-hmm. uh, musicians living there and. It's, it's really it's wild. still going by the way do you, are you on their mailing list no i'm not yeah it's still going um so and uh i you know i for life i can't even really remember how i reconnected with raj and nick um but um just as a backstory i had we all went to bard college together 
Nick, Raj, Keith, and myself. And uh, so I had worked on some projects with Nick at Bard. And it was the first time I had done music um, in the context of not like a musical, but like some sort of theme or plot or like another element in the It wasn't just music. It was like music and Mm -hmm. drama or music and comedy or music and just weirdness, Mm -hmm. performance art and music. Mm -hmm. And I had one of the best nights of my life, like putting on one of these productions. It was called The Revolving Doors of Gary that Nick wrote, and it was just the most bizarre <laughs> shit I could... And I wrote all the music. It was a big zap ahead at the time. It was all just way, way, way out. And really uh-huh. wild stuff. Raj did some keyboard stuff in there, and I had, like... It was just like in a, one of those nights. It was an epiphany for me. And mm-hmm. I was a student, and it changed my life. And, um... And, um... I can't express just, like, how magical that night for me and, like, producing that was for me mm-hmm. personally. And then, um, so the reason I'm bringing that up is years later. What, I'm sorry, what year in college was that? That must have been 2000. Okay, so, oh, so oh yes, okay, you got it. Okay, great. Um, and um, I had always thought that that was the kind of event and, and moment and, and, and sort of expressiveness that would only exist within the safety of college. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I, then that was magical and was gone. Like that happened. Mm-hmm. So reconnecting with that, and I think Raj and Nick sought me out maybe because of that experience. So they remember like working with me super fun, mm-hmm. and uh, they had a two man show going Jolly Ship, and they wanted to expand to have a full band, and they thought of me because I think mm-hmm. that or like was the only bass player they knew. Um, and uh, so reconnecting with them, it turned out. It was like a dream come true in a way because I had always wanted to do that again and I had no idea how that would ever happen. Mm. And not only did I reconnect with him, but we did it for years and like ended up off getting off Broadway show. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like we like literally like this thing I thought was this magical like lightning in a bottle thing like never going to happen again. Mm-hmm. And it jo- I just fucking lived it for like 10 years. <laughs> it was amazing for me mm-hmm. so yeah I, like why is dance so into this pro like i to the end you know what i mean that's what it was to me um but they're like so the reason i i thought of you was we had worked together and done some amazing stuff at bar too and mm-hmm. um they were like oh we want a more electric sound or maybe i thought they needed it because <laughs> it was like accordion and acoustic guitar yeah and i'm like Oh, plug in your keyboard. Let's get an electric guitarist. I know the guy. Mm-hmm. Um, because I just, I knew you, you like, you were able to shred through like Peaches and Regalia. I was like, he can play anything. So I'll call Keith. Um, you know, what's, so I just think what's, what's really funny about that is that the band, so yeah, so remembering the early days of the band, it was, was it was just Nick singing and Raj on keyboard and Raj on guitar. Right. Accordion. Accordion. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Accordion and guitar. Right. Right. Yes. yes. So, so Nick wasn't even playing guitar at the time, and and that's actually how I sort of remember now. Now that you're, my memory's coming back as you're talking, mm-hmm. but I'm remembering the early days where Nick would write the songs, he would sing the songs, and Raj would switch, switch back and forth. He would play guitar on some songs, and he'd play keyboard, uh, accordion on some songs. Right. Yeah. So you actually, so let's just say like you, your vision for it was actually like 
one of the formative visions in a way. Yeah. Because you were like, hey, wait a minute. This, this project can be bigger. You know, mm-hmm. Raj can plug in his keyboards. We can get a bigger sound. We can have an electric guitar, a big sound, which, you know, then, then you need a drummer. Then you have a big, then you have a big band. Yep. You know, so that was sort of like your impetus in a way. Not that it probably would have happened either way, but that's really kind of interesting that you were like, wait a minute. We could yep. do, this could be bigger, you know? Yeah. I, and I'll just jump on and say that I think that as you're talking, I feel like Jolly Ship for me was, it was interesting because there was so much musical evolution that occurred that it was sort of like I always felt a little uneasy. Like you paid me a compliment saying, oh, he could play anything. Yeah. But for me, the band, it was an uncomfortable band for me, uh-huh. you know, and mostly because I had been doing jazz for so long, but I had also been doing kind of like a jam rock thing for so long also. And I feel like we, we were in the very early days of it when it was just, um, when it was just pirate love and, you know, the cabin boy song or something and like sea shanty ish stuff that felt like kind of like a jam rock thing. And in the later days, it became some sort of like emo indie rock thing. Yeah. But, but like this whole middle section where it was like electro punk and, and, and like had a more eighties feel to it. And we were still finding our sound. I felt very uncomfortable a lot with where my guitar sat in the band. Right. This, this is like a, this is my, you know, I'm just going to, this is my confession to you. <laughs> no, I got you. You know? But, because remember when it was like, I would always want to double what you were playing. Because <laughs> I liked the way it sounded playing with you. And I think it was like, for me, it was like, I want to be a rhythm instrument here, you know? Yeah. And I want to be like part of like some sort of like, uh, like unstoppable, you know, sort of just pulsating rhythm uh-huh. rather than, rather than like a guitarist's guitarist, you know, with a guitar part. I was feeling that, you know? So there was always, for me, there was always kind of a little bit of a tension in there with that, with that, with my role, like feeling what my role was. Not that we didn't still do it for many, 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 many years. We made it work, but like, I feel like there was always sort of like a, I don't know, just a tension for me in the way the music developed. Yeah. Um, I remember that. I remember that a lot. Like that, you you struggling or like getting that sensation that's not struggling. Uh-huh. It's like you were searching and you're like unsettled. I'm like where it was gonna be, mm-hmm. and uh, you basically only had like one opportunity to ever like solo or lead mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, to that one song, uh, mm-hmm. which was a super crowd pleaser, but would also drive Nick nuts because like you made you the star. 
Well, you know, oh, I don't... maybe that's not it. Or it's like, it doesn't fit my no. vision. It's like, we're not a rock band with epic guitar solos. I'm like, I don't know. Whatever. Well, <laughs> he, he actually, I, I think he was looking for something different. Like, yeah. what I would do is, he would, it was like, for me, it was my feature. So every yeah. time we got to the guitar solo section, if you remember, we'd bring it down. We'd bring it all the way back down and then bring it up again yeah. to a big climax. And one time Nick finally said to me, and he was actually very, yeah. it was like the most, he was like, it was like one of the most um, like understandable ways to put it Okay. for me. He was like, he was like, don't do the like Trey Anastasio thing where you bring it all the way down to a simmer and then bring it back up over the course of five minutes. Uh-huh. He was like, do the slash thing where it's the climax of the song and then you come out blazing, you know? Yeah. And before our West coast tour, Uh um, that's what he said. And I don't know if you remember, but I took a different tact for that tour. Okay. And it worked, you know, the solos were shorter, but I had to maintain an intensity that I wasn't, I had to maintain an intensity for a longer period of time than I was used to because If you're taking a five-minute solo, but you bring it down to nothing, then you can play melodically and leave space. But if you take a two-minute solo, but you come out blazing from the Uh get-go, then you have to start high and get higher. That was actually a challenge for me. I wasn't used to it because all I listened to was fish. (laughs) You know, it was like... Right, right. I wasn't used to being Slash. I was used to being Trey. So I... Like it was like, a, you know, it was, that, that was probably good advice though. I mean, you know, like, exactly. you know, uh, Nick definitely had a vision and, uh, you know, um, and uh, let's face it. I mean, most of that band, the whole project was his vision, you know, um, creatively. Yeah. That whole thing, you know, so um, it's probably good advice. It was, it was. So, um, yeah, what else, what else do you remember? Shit, man. Sweating our asses off in that warehouse and um, uh, all the house parties and stuff. And um, what At really, Flux Factory? Yeah. You know, yeah. The, the house part and, and, and like Rubulod and just like the weird underground. Oh, thing. Rubulod. But like, <laughs> let's, let's, you know, let's move on to the next part of, of our you know, the birth of the band and really uh, we could wrap up this chapter with like getting established at um, the Bowery Poetry Club. Um, yeah. Which was founded by Bob Holman, who was a poetry, uh, live slam poetry, live poetry, living poetry mm-hmm. um, performance. Uh, he started a club in the Lower East Side, the Bowery Poetry Club. I don't think it's there anymore. Um, but it was right across the street from CBGB's. Mm-hmm. And, um, Nick w- was really close with Bob. Mm-hmm. Bard, and uh, Bob is an insane genius, and uh, so is Nick, and they recognized that in each other, you know what I mean? And so, like, mm-hmm. boom, they had that trust going, and Bob gave us a shot in this project, and um, we got to perform. We had, like, a residency there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I-, I think that really just opened up so much for us as a project, being able to have a residency. Mm-hmm. 
So um, as an aside, you know, like you have a project, uh, it's like the dream now, like uh, uh, I'm stumbling over my words, but I'm trying to say is, y'all, if you can get uh, anyone out there, you can get a, uh, a residency somewhere, like go for it. Yes. But having that weekly performance, it's so good for the project internally, um, for developing your sound, and it's also great. I feel like the audience like knew we were going to be there every week and like started coming and like get a following going. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, having that, oh, my God, it was so amazing. Um, yeah, I remember that That was, um, man, it was, how many, it was a few years, right? We actually had, years. like, a maybe a two-year kind of off and on residency. If I remember correctly, we did a year every Friday. Thursday or Friday? We, yeah, maybe it was a Thursday because now I'm thinking it, it's not possible we had a Friday night gig. <laughs> you know, it's like we weren't that good. So it was probably right. a Thursday night gig, right? Yeah. So we were there every Thursday night for a year and then we took a hiatus and then we came back. And I think we did, correct me if I'm wrong, two nights but only for six months. This is my memory of it. Was that Ars Nova or? No, because Ars Nova, no, Ars Nova was you know, like the summer, but it was four or five nights or something. It was four or five shows, but it was four nights or right, something. Right, right, right. Yeah. Now, you know what, I, my memory of it, well, I, I think that the, the, not only was the band something that was so unique, and, you know, we'll, we'll put links because it's, there's a bunch of records on iTunes. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> there's a bunch of video on YouTube. Um, so it's and it was called Jolly Ship the Whizbang. So if you, I mean, if you search for it, it's the only thing you're going to find um, of that of that title, as if I remember my recent YouTube searches. But the band, not only was the band so unique, but the Bowery Poetry Club was such a unique place. Like, remember all the great friends we had. In that place, yes, they were so supportive for like fringy stuff, right? Like they had a night, they had poetry slams and things. You know, yeah. I don't even remember all the crazy stuff they had, but poetry slams were about the normalist thing that they had, <laughs> pretty much. You know, yeah. <clears throat> I'll tell. Let me tell one quick hilarious story. Okay. So Bowery Poetry Club. We had just finished our show, um, Sleepless Fishes, which was, you know, a two-act play, mm-hmm. but, you know, on stage in a, you know, in, a, in a bar, essentially, with, you know, puppets. And we had just finished our show, and I go outside to have a cigarette, and I'm wearing boots or New Balance sneakers, I can't remember, <clears throat> Raja's red sparkle pants. Yeah. No shirt. Yeah. And an eye patch. Yes. Okay. And I'm and it's summertime, so I go, I walk outside, and you remember there was they they had um, a show after us after a while when they sort of got established. They used to have a hip hop show at, that went on after us. Yes. You yes remember yes, that? Yes, the hip hop show. I do. Yeah. So I go outside, have a cigarette, having a cigarette. Probably miss me, Chris Anton. You may be, I don't remember exactly who was there, Raja. 
whoever was outside smoking. And I turn and look at the line. They had like a velvet rope system for the next show. And the first person online was the daughter of the CEO of the company that I worked for <laughs> okay. on, on Wall Street, on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. <laughs> yeah. okay. And she takes one look at me, and she goes, oh, you're a freak, aren't you? <laughs> and I just, like, laughed because I was just like, you know, I was like, leading a double life the whole time. <laughs> so I just laughed. And she, and she was actually coming to see another colleague of ours who was a rapper, Okay, believe it or not. And he was um, like a very short guy. He was like five feet tall or something. And, he, and the name of his – I'll bring it up because his rap name was like Five Feet Rhymes or something. I don't remember exactly what it was. Okay. But he wasn't a bad rapper at all. And um, so that's the only story. That's great. Well, yeah, um, that's one of my few stories. I, I do have a, a short story to follow up on wearing uh, related to clothing and standing right outside at that exact spot. Uh-huh. Um, Raja Azar, who's in our band, a uh, very handsome guy, right? And he was also is continues to be a little socially awkward. <laughs> so <laughs> understatement. Um, and as a result of his like sort of introverted, socially awkward uh, behavior, um, it, it backfired out him horribly. Like everyone wanted to talk to him and harass him, and just like because he was like defenseless. So he's like, "I'm tired of women hitting on me. I'm gonna wear this offensive T-shirt." And the T-shirt said, "Boob Inspector." Official I boob remember inspector. this, and it had like yeah. pictures of different boobs on it, and like the like weird names for them, like the peach boob, the like pear boob, blah 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 blah. Um, not only did wearing that shirt, it just backfired horribly. Yeah, because a girl came up to you like. Here, feel my boob. Tell me what kind I have. <laughs> so then he had to like grab. He just like and I saw his hand, his hand just sort of like extended, like do 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 do, like mechanically, like totally just his passion, like do 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 do, hit her boob, like and like squeeze, squeeze, and do 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 do, and retract. He said, "Firm cantaloupe" or something like that. <laughs> wow, that worked out. <laughs> just like Raj. So, uh, yeah, so um, that's my story. Raj is the funniest guy. He's like the most <laughs> he's like the most lovably eccentric person. Yeah. He's one of the most lovably eccentric person I know yeah. I've ever known. Yeah. Because, you know, I can't think of too many. It's, he's like someone where I can't think of any group of people where he fits in. But I also can't think of any group of people where he doesn't somehow fit in. Right. You know? He's just, like, very eccentric, but so lovable, you know? But it's yeah. just like, okay, you know, it's like, oh, it's just Raj, you know? Well, so. That's a good reminiscing. You got some good reminiscing here. I, like I think that. so. Yeah, let's just keep it, let's keep it going. Let's do next episode. Um, um, we'll pick off because you know I just wanted to bring up um, um, the, all the nights that we did at um, uh, Peter's place, uh, Pete Cole's place, otherwise known as Royce Peterson. 
Oh, right. Remember yeah, we used yeah, to yeah. rehearse down his, and then we cut, yeah, we, we that did one, an EP there. Yeah, started getting heavy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, and I'm, it's like fun to just go through everything and sort yeah, of yeah. reminisce about like all the different, yep. Um, like reminisce about all the different, you know, times we, like the different stages <clears throat> and all the, like, and maybe our favorite songs from each stage or something. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, next yeah. Uh, next episode we're gonna go into the uh, the the uh, the golden years. The gold, yeah, golden yeah. Years. What? what <laughs> nice, the golden years. There you go. Yeah, I guess we did hit our stride. Yeah, we really hit our stride. So we'll go yeah, into yeah. that next time. Yeah. Yeah. Let's not get into it now because now I'm remembering. We just have to remember to remember to go through the golden years. Yes. Yes. Cool. Awesome. <laughs> All right, folks. I hope you enjoyed. Uh, this little uh, session of reminiscing about Dan and I, uh, our old band called Valley Ship the Whiz Bang. Please go leave a like and subscribe or uh, all that stuff. Leave a review. Even if it's a bad review, you can just say, hey, you guys are boring and you suck. Um, that would be hilarious. We'll use that as a blurb. Yeah. Um, and um, go out and do something yourself. The, the point of the podcast is we're supposed to be um, – inspiring folks to yep. to get out there and do stuff yourself. Yeah. And I would say actually that band was such a good example of what you can achieve if you just stick with something because <laughs> if yep. we think about how humble those beginnings were. You know, probably I mean it was like Raj standing there with his accordion and like a beat up acoustic guitar Nick with one single puppet. And, you know, like no, and, you know, where we ended up eventually was, I would say three or four recordings, three albums, right? Yeah. Or is it two albums and an EP? I don't remember. We tore a tour of Ireland. And two tours. Show, many professionally produced albums. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. All right. And, and a, dozens of puppets, a full crew yeah. of people. I mean, it was it got insane for a while there, I mean, just because, you know. I mean, there was a lot to say that we were, you know, we were driven, we had the time, we had skills, you know. We were all quote unquote talented, you know. Um, but you just got to do some, pick something that you're passionate about, and stick with. It. Yep. And uh, by the way, if uh, anyone's going to leave negative comments, please. Please, please fill them with profanities. It's just much better that way. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Try to be original with your negative comments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Don't be the guy trolling our other band who yeah. just writes "fuck off." Oh, no, I mean, that's, that's my just, favorite. Just. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I you know, love it. What, what disappoints me is that that guy doesn't. He should do the angry face too. I know. He should. You know, he shouldn't just do "fuck off." He should click the button and do the angry face. Right. Whatever. <laughs> you, can't, you can't ask for everything in this world. Okay, dude. Yeah, All right. Man. All right. Enjoy the rest of your day. Yeah, we'll do it soon. All right. Later. Cool, man. Later.